Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. Ethan, welcome to War Room Huddle. It is such a privilege to have you join us in the studio today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. You've got a, uh, a fantastic story to tell. What I thought we would do and, and something we're going to work on for 2022 is, you know, setting what I call setting the stage. So I really want you to just tell us about, tell us about yourself, tell us about your firm and really like who you are as a financial advisor. Okay. So I guess, uh, our firm is Stones River Wealth Management. Um, we started in 2020, kind of right before the, um, COVID crisis. I'm literally like <laughs> yes, a month. Days. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Days before, um, had a daughter about six days after yeah. I joined RFG. Um, so it's been a wild ride from the beginning. Um, I guess kind of how I got into um, this industry, um, my undergrad is in finance, and I went off to work in the corporate finance world um, for a few years, and the time and the strain that that took on my family, I started looking for something else, and in uh, 2016, I kind of stumbled into what is this financial, financial advisor role, yeah. and how can I um, build a business this way in my 20s? Right. And so I just want to make sure everyone heard that in my 20s, because we're coming back to that. You're all of 31 years old, almost 32. <laughs> so a lot of wins in your in your bag. And, you know, I, I have had just a phenomenal portfolio of mentors throughout the years. And, and I think that anybody getting into this industry really needs to lean on the people that have experience to be taught what they don't know. Um, you know, Bobby and I, we're, we're going to spend some time tomorrow. And I told him, I just want to bring my legal pad and just take notes, yeah. you know, and just tell me what I don't know, how I can better serve my clients, how I can better serve my family, how I can better serve the people I'm around and, and the employees that work for me, how we all can kind of grow together. Um, and kind of stumbling into this role, um, I was very, very interested after meeting with several of prospective clients and clients that became my first clients um, that were sitting across the table that were millionaires, multimillionaires. Um, and they all kind of had one regret that they didn't spend enough time with their family. And my wife and I, Katie, um, from the beginning started shaping that business of, I don't want it to be that way. There's got to be a way to build this business that I can focus on my family and spend time with um, Katie was pregnant with Wyatt right when I took my Series 7 and, and 66, so that kind of created a little bit extra motivation to get everything built. Um, and from the beginning, I've been very disciplined about appointment times and just protecting that family time, and I can't think of any other industry that would allow me to spend as much time and resources with my family as what I have now. 
you know, time is something that we talk about all the all all the time, uh, and it was a real motivating factor in building the platform at RFG because we all have the same twenty four hours in the day. So, you know, my my father had a fantastic one of my favorite quotes, which is prioritize your time before you allocate your resources, and remember your most valuable resource is your time. And you've really figured that out from the get go. So we're gonna we're gonna come back to that because I really want to mind that. I think you're on the forefront. And I think that the global pandemic and everything that everyone has gone through with COVID has, 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 has provided the opportunity to have a new perspective about the, the allocation of time, the prioritization of how you spend it. And most importantly, really rethinking what constitutes success in building an advisory practice. But before we get there, at the age of 29, you took the leap to independence. I mean, there's advisors out there who are in their late 50s, early 60s that are still kind of wringing their hands thinking like, oh, should I take the risk? Should I take the leap to independence? What made you do that? Why were you so certain that was a pivotal piece of the puzzle for you in long-term success? Well, I, I guess that it kind of comes back to that conference table conversation that I've had with all of my clients. The people that I saw sitting across from me that were the most successful had kind of taken their destiny into their own hands, building their own business. Um, and just the fun that I saw come from that, um, you know, um, third generations uh, coming into play, you know, hey, my grandson's taking over the CFO role this year. You know, yeah. hey, I, I'm spending most of my time fishing and I come <laughs> in and annoy my my son and grandson or or my granddaughter is, is taking over the CEO role and I couldn't be more happy for. And that's something I, I wanted from my family. I've been in Tennessee. I'm the ninth generation of really, really hardworking people. And building something to protect that legacy and that family name to kind of catapult, not only from an income standpoint, but the ability to be servants to the community around them, having the resources to help the people that need help, um, I think is huge. And I didn't see myself at the wirehouse that I was at being able to build that. I was kind of a, a, a cog in the machine, mm -hmm. and we performed well and we did well, but I really wanted the ability to create something and leave it to my children. You know, Proverbs tells us that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and I think that there couldn't be a better thing to do to set those kids up and teach them, you know, not only how money works, but how businesses work, and I think they can be successful in anything if they understand those things. You know, it's it's interesting how you framed up your decision-making matrix, because for you, it sounds like there was greater risk in not taking the leap to independence than there was risk in taking the leap. There absolutely was. And, you know, I, I'm a, a good old Southern boy. You know, politics are not something that I was taught from from a young age. And, and it's not a way that I wanted to grow my business um, through, you know, moving up in the company, gaining partnership and, and growing that way. I wanted to grow my business through my relationship with my clients that are very similar to me, similar to my parents, my grandparents, and how I can help them and their families move forward. That really defines success to me, not necessarily the rubrics that you would find at a traditional company. I love um, I love thinking about fear and risk, and and it surprises me. And I love to hear you say that you know the intentionality of making that decision and taking control of your destiny. 
Because, you know, so often when we hear, when we talk to advisors, the reasons why they don't want to become independent are, you know, I'm afraid my clients won't follow me. And yet our data, as well as the industry data, confirms that, you know, 99% of clients follow the advisor. They have a relationship with you, not with the firm that you're with. And number two, I don't want to go through the headache and pain of repapering. Well, that's, you know, three months of your life. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, instead you frame it up against this backdrop of your proverb, which is so beautifully stated, you know, you can actually build an asset of value for your children's children. And and it's so big. And, you know, the, the people, I guess, out there contemplating the decision, I would say the risk is, you know, what does the next 30 years look like as, as this unwinds? And, you know, when I looked at it from a a standpoint of just the business side, just look at profitability, I couldn't afford not to. Right. And, you know, I, I think that any advisor that's going to be profitable and has that go-getter spirit, um, they're leaving so much on the table, not building that for their family yeah. and being able to put that in a way that allows them to be very, very giving to the people around them and, and to the community they serve. Which is one of the um, most beautiful things and what I think is, you know, your superpower and advisor superpower is that you all get into this business to serve others. I mean, at the core of what we do, that is the unifying factor. You mentioned ninth generation Tennessean, which I just love as a girl born in Nashville, like <laughs> lots of respect there. How have you found just from your perspective it different building a you know very successful practice in a small town versus you know building an advisory practice in a metropolitan or in an urban environment well a, a small town comes with struggles just like a, a big city um one thing that is is unique about a small town when you've been there for a long time these people have watched you grow up they've watched yeah. you go through the struggles of trying to build your character, trying to build your business, the businesses that you've tried in the past. And they've kind of seen that process where in the big city, you're just kind of another number, you know, this clean cut guy or gal that's in the corner office that's trying to get you to bring them their assets. And in the small town, you know, you build your business by sponsoring the local football team and going to Hardee's in the morning and getting cups of coffee with people and taking flowers to widows on Valentine's Day and just spending time with people, you know, getting out of the truck and walking out to the tractor and saying, hey, you know, how's it going? You know, I know that it was hot. And I just brought you some water bottles today. Yeah. It, it's different. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at a landscape in my county of about 13,000 people. And so I love it because it gives me I guess a restraint to maintain my character. Mm -hmm. I always have to be consistent. You know, in a big city, if, if I have someone that um, I, I don't particularly enjoy doing business with, that process is really easy right. to move on. The breakup's and, way easier. Yeah. <laughs> in in a, a small town, they're related to 15 of my clients. <laughs> right. and, and so there, there's strengths and weaknesses to that. Um, so I think that it's very, very interesting and it can be very, very beneficial to someone who treats people with the utmost respect in every situation. My dad always has told me that mercy begets mercy. Yeah. And and from a business standpoint in a small town, I think that's the best advice that you can give somebody to just always be honest and always be merciful in all of your dealings. And you'll go very, very far. 
How do you think about, you know, 13,000 people in your county? How do you think about growth in the future? Because you're just getting started. Yeah, I, I I think there's this this country song that you know I've got big big plans and and I think every country song. <laughs> yeah, I've got some some big big plans and I think that you know people in a small town are just wonderful people. You know, it just having this conversation. I think of some of the clients that I've had throughout the past that have been instrumental in building my business. I I know of clients that have given me dozens of referrals. So if Ethan's helped me, he's helped me do this. You know, uh, Elena, the support staff is wonderful for me. You know, Kelsey playing this event for us. And it's just wonderful in that small town to cultivate those relationships. And it's amazing how much quicker your business grows in that environment. Because if you've got 60, 70 advocates out there screaming your name and praises of how They've done, you know, hey, I'd love to take you and Ethan fishing with me. You know, they're going to help you. And I think that that's something that we miss in the big cities, that just small town love for each other and kind of rising together. Well, and it's it's going to be really interesting because, you know, we did a, a webinar in December with Zane Terrence talking about the opportunity for advisors to have a seat at the table working with family businesses and the amount of liquidity that is going to be created as a result of you know, there not being a succession plan for these family-owned businesses or the valuations being so attractive that to sell that business is going to create generational wealth. And I imagine that's a factor that is, you know, that you're dealing with. I mean, you're ninth generation. There are a lot of family businesses in the, in the South. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, from anything, you know, third generation businesses where cousins have different views on how things are going to be ran um, to in my neck of the woods, lots of family farms of what, how is this going to be broken up amongst the the kids and grandkids and great grandkids? And how are we going to spend this out um, into the future? I think that the the opportunity there is phenomenal, not only from a business standpoint, but for an education standpoint, for advisors to kind of up their game for what they're used to dealing with and how they can be beneficial to their clients. You know, uh, Gibson and I were talking about the intimacy of that financial advisor relationship mm-hmm. with, with their clients. You know, um, I have clients tell me things that they don't tell their spouse. And, you know, as that that business is cultivated and it's time to kind of break it off into the next generation. I think that we have to be called to be a huge resource for those families to help them make good, sound financial decisions to say, hey, we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I have people walk into my office, I know this is your first time retiring, but we do it every day. Right, right. You know, it's the same thing in, in the business um, transaction standpoint of, hey, I know this is your first time selling your business, but we do this every day. Let me tell you what I've learned throughout the years. I love the use, and I haven't heard that before, about the intimacy of the relationship because you're hundred percent right. You know, I always say money is so emotional and, and there's so much, there's so much that goes into it. And so really thinking about, you know, your responsibility as an advisor in the, through the lens of that intimacy and, and leveling up, like get ready to have these conversations well before there is a liquidity event, because all of us that have their own businesses, you're a business owner, I'm a business owner, these are your babies. Yes. I mean, you love your business. You know, you you obviously faith, family, and then you love your business. Yes. 
I mean, it is. It, it's an integral part of who we are. Right. And, and it has to be there, you know, and I, I tell my clients, you, you know, you're number three in my world. Number right. one's God, number two's Katie, Wyatt, and Claire, and, and you fall in number three. You should yeah. be very happy to be number three. Right. And, and, and I think that, you know, part of that process, you know, from the continuing education to the, the developing the relationships and spending time with our clients is huge. And, you know, when I think about, you know, some of my clients that have been incredibly successful in their businesses of what's next and, and what does that look for? And, and I think that it's just like in any relationship, you know, you have to sit down with them and, hey, tell me how you feel. Right. Tell me what you want. And, and I think that a lot of us from a math standpoint have trouble seeing things as a spreadsheet of, mm-hmm. hey, this is the best way to break this up. And, and I think that's where some people go wrong instead of asking the business owner, Tell me how you right. feel. Tell me what you want and how we can help you with this. Let us let us craft a solution. Are you an advisor looking to make the move to independence? RFG Advisory is an innovator in the wealth management industry with a winning culture and a fully integrated tech platform designed to help advisors take their practice to the next level. Let us get to know you at rfgadvisory.com. All right. So one of the things that I admire most about you that I think you um, have done to a level that I haven't seen anyone else do, which is the prioritization of your time. And, you know, you, 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 you said to us a year ago, actually, you're like, I'm going to take the summer off. I'm going to travel with my kids. We're going to go see the national parks, you know, two young children. And you made it happen. You're incredibly disciplined about your time. So you take the summers off. You're, you know, thoughtful about how you spend the work week. You look at December very differently than most advisors. You don't look at it as like the rat race to wrap up the year. You really take that month off. How have you done this? Like, what is the practical tools? An advisor listening to this, like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. This guy is growing leaps and bounds. He's, you know, 31 years old, building this enterprise value into his practice, really a sustainable, scalable business. You're thinking about, you know, other other office locations. And yet you have all this free time. How do you do it? Well, I, I guess that it all comes down to, I, I grew up in, in the farming world and just the discipline of working when we had to work. And we grew up working really hard and playing really hard. And, and that kind of translated into the next phase of, of my life. When I was a young advisor, I used to keep two jars on my desk and one jar had 25 marbles in it. And by the end of the day, I wouldn't go home unless I had made 25 contacts. I'd moved a marble from one jar to the other. It was just a simple, Ethan way of keeping track of things. One little trick that I learned from one of my mentors. And after reading and exposure to some great mentors and advisors in the industry, I realized that I could work really, really hard for three weeks a month and create some free time. Um, that comes with some cuts. It comes with getting really good at telling people no. Yeah. Um, and, and it goes back to that conversation that we talked about a little while ago that, you know, I, I had people that had been very, very successful by other people's standards sitting across the table telling me, I wish I would have made more t-ball games, or I wish I would have made more ballet recitals, or I wish that I would have been around my grandkids more. And from the beginning, I said, I'm not going to be that person. And just like we build financial plans, you have to build your business plan around what you want. 
And if you're not intentional about what that finished product's going to look like, you're never going to get there. And so, you know, my, my goal in 2021 was to take two months off for the summer and a week every month off. And I did that. And, you know, that kind of simply started with ripping the Band-Aid off and telling Elena and Kelsey, do not schedule anything these weeks. And, you know, we're just going to move forward and do this. And then, you know, it takes some longer hours in the weeks that you're there. But um, I wouldn't trade it for the world, getting to spend time fishing with Wyatt and playing with Claire and, just all of the things that I know are going to be so exciting in the future and that family time and the memories we're going to create. So an advisor, uh, can I can hear the counterpoint on this. Like, well, there's always, you know, an urgent issue with a client in that week that you're taking off in those two months. How do you deal with those fire drills? Um, so I typically, you know, let's say I'm in, in Sarasota. Um, I, I schedule those fire drill calls during nap time. So I'm, I'm not sacrificing any family time. Um, Elena and Kelsey both know that um, I'll, I'll open up an hour from one to two. I still have little children, five and two, um, that still take naps. And I can solve most of the world's problems in an hour. And And what a lot of clients and advisors don't realize is you're really not the ones putting out the fire. A, a lot of the the fires are dealt with by your operations team, you know, and, and a lot of it, you know, I have to give kudos to my team to make this possible is the operations team's coming in and saying, here's the solution. The client just wants to hear it from you. Right. And, and I think that it's also a process of um, kind of educating the clients that Elena and Kelsey are very, very capable people. Right. You know, when you call them, there's really not a need to talk to me because I'm going to immediately call them and say, help me understand how this process works. And and I think that you just have to trust the team that you've built and you have to spend the time disciplining that team to be able to say, I've got this. Right. And, and that initiative from the whole team, I, I couldn't take credit for that myself. It's a team effort to make that possible. You know, what's interesting is you were talking about that. I was thinking about how so much of you being able to have this this intentional quality time with your family really hinges on the requirement, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but the requirement of you setting your ego aside. Like, I don't have to be the most important person in the room. I don't have to be the, you know, I'm not Superman. I don't have to race to every crisis. I, I'm going to empower my team to feel that they can handle this, that they have the tools, they have the resources, they have the, the access to me should they need it. But one out, I mean, I guarantee you, if we did a, a like a snap poll right now, we're like, we're going to pull 100 advisors. And I said to them, you get one hour every day. You're going to take off a full week and you get one hour during that week every day to solve all the problems. They'd be like, no way. How many of you think that, you know, your businesses would fall off the radar and things, you know, the wheels would fall off the wagon, all the rest of it. I bet we would have a unanimous feedback that advisors would say that's not possible. Yeah, and and I guess that you know my my background with being disciplined in in, in sports and just trying to get to that next level really makes me look at my business and be honest with myself. You know, if if I pulled up all the the Apple phones of those people and looked at what they were looking at on their phone, on their work computer. Um, the conversations they were having in the break room while getting coffee, you know, I would argue that they're probably not working more than three hours a day, really solving problems. And, 
you know, one thing about creating that sense of urgency, I have to solve all of these problems, is it makes you get incredibly organized and disciplined with your work time. And I have a thing, if I catch myself on Facebook or surfing the web at the office, I just go home. Yeah. You know, because I'm just wasting time and I would yeah. much rather be with my family. Yeah. Um, there, There's no reason for me to be there just giving up time. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful things that you can do is kind of set your family up on that pedestal and say, you're important to me. You're the most important thing to me. And not just wasting time other places if your goal is to spend time with with your family. So how hectic are those three weeks? You've got two weeks off during the, or excuse me, two months off during the summer. You're working three three weeks every month. How crazy are those three weeks? Believe it or not, not that crazy. Um, You know, we are very unique that we have a really, really good relationship with all of our clients. You know, um, I'm going to talk to most of my clients just running around throughout the week, you know, whether that's slipping into a high school basketball game to support my clients, kids and grandkids and sitting with the grandparents that are clients talking to them about what's going on in the world. Um, I stay pretty apprised to most of my clients' mm-hmm. lives, and we know them very well, whether that's fishing with them or golfing with them or, or shooting with them um, or just getting a cup of coffee at the, the neighborhood restaurant that morning. Um, and so when you get into those reviews, it, it's not as hectic as you would think, you know, because you've, you've spent all year talking to mm-hmm. them and and spending time with them. And you know, that, that review is, is more of a, a report card and a, a temperature check of, of how the other things are going. Um, so it's not as crazy as, as some people would think. I think this is one of the areas, you know, we focus a lot on this um, with the work that we do in, in helping mentor admins and, and really skill up the team that surrounds the advisor so that they can spend all their time on client relationships and prospecting. But I think this is going to be one of the biggest shifts in our industry of, you know, not just defining roles and responsibilities really clearly for the advisor's team, but the advisor really recognizing, like, we all benefit from allowing oxygen into our organizations, allowing those talented people that we've hired to be a part of our team to step into their, you know, step fully into their their capabilities and their skill set, allow them to make mistakes, allow them to jump into the deep end of the pool. And that to me is one of the most exciting just kind of shifts that are happening in the industry. And it's fun. You're a young advisor. You're the future of the industry. It's fun that that, has, uh, that is a central tenet of success for you. Yeah, it, it's so neat. And, and I know that a lot of people are I guess, held back by allowing other people to make mistakes, but that's the only way that they learn, Right. you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, it's just like raising a toddler. You've said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then you just have to watch them jump off the side of the couch. Right. And, and, and I think that that's the part of it, you know, um, giving them that ownership in the business and the client relationship to make mistakes. And, to look back and say, wow, Elena, that's way better than I could have thought how to do this. That's a fantastic idea. Let's trudge forward. And, and there's just so much opportunity with learning on the diversity of the office and the different backgrounds and the different skills that everybody has and brings to the table that kind of catapults you to that next level in in this business. And you actually create a business. Right. And, and yeah. that's a key you actually have a business. <laughs> factor in, in allowing other people to, to play with their strengths. So if you were sitting down with an advisor, like clean sheet of paper, 
what is, you know, what are the three questions you're going to have them answer if they say, I want that. I want to take off two months. I want to put my family on a pedestal. Um, you know, I guess my, my first question to them would be, what does that two months look like? And, and what does that week a month look like? Um, how can you make sure that you're not cheating on your family time, you know, secretly trying to run the business in, in that right. off time and, and think about the market and think about everything else that's going on? Um, are you really serious that you want to do this? And and then the second thing is, you know, are you spending enough time with your support staff or do you have a way for someone else to coach that support staff to get them ready to kind of embark on you being hands off? You know, hey, Ethan can only be reached this week by satellite phone. Right. And, and it's going to be really, really <laughs> crucial if, if I call him. Um, and the second thing would be, you know, when we talk about your time as your asset, I would actually say that my children are my biggest asset because everything that I'm building, all the time, all the wealth, everything that I'm cultivating goes to them. Yep. And if I lose them away from the character or the values or the the relationship with dad that I thought they ought to have, it doesn't matter all the time yeah. that I've spent spinning my wheels up until that point. Um, and, and then the third question that I would ask them is, how much healthier would your relationships be if you learned to say no to the things that were causing you stress and problems in your life and you just got rid of it and said, hey, so this is So what does that what mean? I, what does that look like? I, I mean, um, you know, so um, I, I have a, a business coach, Michael Burke, that, that I... Uh, I've used for several years and, you know, um, we have our Monday morning meeting as a team and I, I've used one of his quotes from Garth Brooks on that meeting is, I just want to show up and sing. And, and that's kind of cultivated too in 2022. I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. Um, and I know that's kind of selfish um, sounding at first, um, but it's a beautiful world when you learn to say no. Say no to those people that um, are pulling you down and distracting you from where you want to get to and say no to those time constraints that, you know, are not profitable for your business. They're not profitable for your family. They're not profitable for your health. Um, and and just move on. And, and there's just such a peace that comes with just putting that line in the sand and saying, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, at least in my life, it has been incredibly refreshing because I've created all of this time that I can use doing the things that I want to do, like teaching my son how to cash a fishing pole and, you know, taking my daughter to ride horses and doing fun things that will benefit my family in the future. I mean, it's like we can do a whole uh, advisor. I feel like we need like an ebook <laughs> on like how to say no. Like the, the mantra of like, I don't want to do things I don't want to do. It's okay to say that. Yeah. It's empowering to say that. And it's amazing. Like the thing that is so fascinating to me is that you have a force multiplier effect on your practice when you start getting really clear. What's my mission? What's my vision? What's my values? How am I spending my time? Like, those are more important than, you know, spent, than sitting there like, who are my centers of influence? Like, once you get these big rocks identified and solved, that's where you get this, like, exponential growth creation. Yeah, and, and I used to have a, a CEO that I worked for, and he said, you can't manage what you can't measure. 
Yeah. And that's always stuck in my head. And I think as as new advisors, especially at the wirehouse that that I kind of grew up in this business with, um, it was all about prospecting, you know. And I think that we get that ingrained in our head for so long that we actually forget how to prospect. We forget what <laughs> makes us unique. And, and you know, I know Bobby talks about it in passion prospecting. Yeah. You know, my best clients have come from fishing and hunting and, and golfing and, and doing things that I enjoy. And those people will be a joy in my life. And, and part of that saying no is say, you know, I've got a $3 million prospect that just doesn't identify with who I am. It's okay to say no to that. There will be another one. You know, there's 7 billion people in the world and I only want 150 of them. Surely I can find them. And, and I think that, you know, just after you've gotten through a little while of doing it this way, you get the confidence of, okay, it's all going to be all right. I've left the wirehouse. I've decided to take off more time with my family. And you'll be amazed at how profitable your business is because your business, it depends on your health. You know, not only emotionally, financially, spiritually, you have to be running on all cylinders all the time to do this job, to maintain the intimacy with your clients, to maintain the emotional resilience from the ups and downs in the market, um, from the um, the mistakes that are made um, in, in the world and, and your clients' mistakes, your mistakes, everything that comes into play. And, and if you're not being disciplined about taking care of yourself in all of those facets of your life, you're not going to be successful in this business. Yeah. I call it, it's a sprint marathon. Yes, absolutely. It's a sprint marathon. I mean, we're really engaged in this marathon, but we're kind of operating in this sprint mindset. And so how do you maintain that optimal health to be able to sprint? You're 100% right. Yes. We always have a choice of what attitude we're going to bring into life. The attitude that we bring into it is up to us. It's worth doing. It's worth freaking pushing. It's in the business world, too. It's adaptable and it's transferable. I transfer that over to my business dealings and dealing with my employees, dealing with my partners. If it's worth doing, not only is it worth doing right, but it's worth freaking crushing. The ultimate goal isn't to succeed or fail. The ultimate goal is to give it everything you have for something that's on your heart. What is absolutely 100% true to you that you know for sure that is going to set you up for success and that's going to pull you through the toughest moments of your life? RFG Advisory is getting ready to crush everything like you've never seen before, and we want you to be a part of it. You'll be a part of a special elite group of advisors who will spend two days with veteran Navy SEAL Team 6 hero and founder of Dynamis Alliance, Dom Rosso. With Navy SEAL Team hero and best-selling author of Man in the Arena, Eddie Gallagher. And to cap it all off, sports icon and motivational speaker, Tim Tebow morning crush at workouts with the SEALs, bourbon tasting, panel discussions bridging SEAL team training to being a high-performing advisor. Head on over to rfgwc.com to sign up now for the Warrior Advisor Conference 2022 and claim your spot. Okay, so you brought up passion prospecting. This is something that um, we believe really strongly in, is that you've got to align your passions with your prospecting. Otherwise, you're just going through the motions. It's too hard. Yes. It's too hard. So how do you do that? What does passion prospecting look like for you? Um, 
for me, I, I love to fish. There's probably nothing more in this world that I enjoy than being out on the water. Um, you know, there's just something freeing about being out on in the Gulf or on the ocean or on the lake and looking around and not even seeing land. The Stones River. Yes, yes. And, and it <laughs> you is, named your firm after. <laughs> yes, it's, <laughs> it's really, really ingrained into my life of what I appreciate. And it's so neat being able to share those experiences with other people. You know, um, in, in small town Tennessee, you know, I run into people that are in their 50s and 60s that have never even been on an airplane. And, you know, I'm telling them, hey, let's go down to Delacroix and go redfish fishing in Louisiana in the Gulf. And they're like, how do we even get to right. Louisiana? And, you know, just the memories that are created there and the relationships that are built um, on those trips are phenomenal. And not only, you know, when you're down there, you're running into people who love the same right. things. And, you know, just in the lobby, I was talking to a dairy farmer. You know, it's just, hey, we have something that is in common that we love. You know, we enjoy being out on the farm and seeing the cattle and seeing God's creation and just our little vapor of time to get to participate in it, and I don't want to waste that. And I think running into people at the shooting range, at the golf course, um, out fishing, out hunting, I feel like there's a kindred spirit there of, of people that don't want to waste that. And financially, I think it's our calling to say, hey, we can help you maintain this. Let's mm -hmm. take the stress of everything else off the board, and let's spend time fishing. Let's spend time hunting. Um, and just some of so my— So do you carve out a— like a part of your P&L that you dedicate towards hunting, fishing, golfing. Absolutely. Like this is an intentional spend. A absolutely. And that's probably the most profitable marketing, do marketing dollars I'll ever spend is, is doing that. Not only just the, the fun that comes from my participation in it, but just the, the time and the resources that go into it are just multiplied tenfold in business development and business growth. It's amazing to me, you know, when we talk about this, there's a, which is crazy, there's almost a, like a valley that advisors have to leap over. They have to leap this Rubicon to like not feeling guilty, right? I mean, I feel so guilty, fill in the blank, pursuing my passion. But if you flip that on its head to your point, this is how you build meaningful memories, relationships, and really, you know, forge that intimacy. Yeah. And, and it goes back to, you know, how do you take time off? You know, you have to be intentional, you know, and don't waste time, you know, and I know advisors that have wasted years and years and years and years of their life, just spinning their wheels, doing what everyone told them to build their business. And they're still kind of sitting there. Yes, they have a profitable business, but they're not thriving. Right. And, and our clients want to see us thrive. And I want to see myself and my clients thrive together. And, you know, there's nothing like, you know, taking a client's grandson or granddaughter out for the first time and seeing them catch that first big fish. And, yeah. and just those memories, sending them those pictures in a frame that I see sitting yeah. throughout the house as, as I go over. Um, it, it's just so fun growing the business um, that way, so much different than, you know, knocking on doors right. or cold calling or any <laughs> other um, prospecting methods of the past. Yeah. And that's really, you know, that's really it. I think that there's never been a more exciting time for advisors to grow their businesses, but it is not looking in the rearview mirror. 
Absolutely. Like not. it is, this business is going it, to, it already looks radically different in the next five years. This generational wealth transfer and the emotional connection to money and the, you know, one of the things I really admire, and I know a lot of people struggle with, you know, Gen Z or the millennials. What's, what's younger than the millennials? I forget what they're called. Are they Gen Z? I don't Gen even, I, I think so. I think it's Gen, Gen Z. Z. I think it's Gen Z. They, you know, when I, I've got a 17 year old, so I, I'm not sure she's quite old enough to be Gen Z, but she's pretty close and talking to, you know, young people in their late teens and their early twenties, they are hyper aware of the generations that have preceded them and the kind of the regrets of, I, you know, gave everything to fill in the blank job and then what did I really get in return? And, you know, some people will look through that and say the pendulum has swung too far and they have too many expectations about work-life balance and how, you know, what should you expect out of a career? What should you expect out of a mentorship relationship, out of a, you know, your boss, all the rest of it? I actually think it is like long overdue that we are having these conversations and that we're being really thoughtful about how are we building our business? Who are we doing business with? And what does this mean for the overall like quality of our lives? Yeah. It, it's so interesting that that you say that. Um, a couple months ago, I ordered this kind of leather journal um, from Amazon and I think it's got a few hundred pages in it. And I took it to my grandparents and I told them, I want you to write down what you wish your parents had taught you. Mm -hmm. And through the generations, my parents do it. I did it for my children. Um, and just how that advice changes and how we've grown yeah. as a family and, and what we're working towards as, as a family and being very, very intentional on how to get there. And it, it kind of amazes me that I see a, a, show like Swiss Family Robinson, and I'm envious of living on a desert <laughs> island. Of, of, hey, a treehouse. You know, I, I would love to just have no phone for a few years yeah. and just spend a few years in a treehouse with my children, you know, teaching them how to fish and yeah. teaching them the basic skills of, of life that I think they ought to know. And I think we've just been too busy for too long to pay attention to the people beside us. I meant to ask you this when we were talking about taking the time off and the week off. What do you do with your phone? Like, what do you do with your phone during those two months or that week off? Do you silence it? Do you I, turn off your email? Like, what do you do? I have to, you know, um, right now I, I don't have it with me in the podcast, but I um, I just have to hit idle yeah. and and just let it Let go it be. And, and just be thankful that I have the people behind me to make that work. Yeah. Let's all try that. <laughs> like goals. Uh, okay. So one of the things that I really admire about you is that you've woven faith into, I mean, it's such a part of you, obviously, but you've woven it into your practice. How have you done that? This is, and this is really interesting. I love exploring this topic because I'm a girl from, you know, grew up in Seattle, spent 20 plus years in San Francisco. And it was very, like, all of this was very separate, right? You did not talk about God at work, and you didn't talk about your faith, and all these things were, they were very bright lines, very compartmentalized. And and something I love about the South is there is a more openness, you know, living in faith-based communities, and you've really woven this into your practice. It's a not only a part of who you are, but it's a part of the business you're building. How have you done that? Well, I think that it goes back to the saying, no conversation. You you have to be who you are all the time or you won't be happy. Yeah. 
And and I've seen too many people, you know, on the the religious side of the spectrum and the non-religious side of the spectrum try to live lives that aren't their own. And the discomfort and the unhappiness that they're comes They're not authentic. Yeah, and and I don't want to have to have notes of this client <laughs> is affiliated with this particular um political party and this client is affiliated with this. It's just when you come to the Stones River Wealth Management office, you get Ethan. Right. And and you know, that might be good, that might be bad. Um, but I just think it's so refreshing just to get to be me. Yeah. And anybody that's not living that lifestyle, I think you're leaving a lot of happiness on the table. You know, one, you know, I think as as Christians, which is the faith I protest to be, um, we're called to tell people about Jesus, and we're called to live a life that kind of lives that life like house out on the water. And we're also called to just be good people, you know, and and be honest. And when somebody comes to me and says, hey, what do you think about this? I tell them, most people, I, I hate politics. You won't find somebody who hates politics more than me, but this is what I think, you know, and I don't have to worry about, did I tell client A this and client B that? And that would just be such a pull in so many directions in my life. I I couldn't keep that organized in, in my head. One of the things that we really love, love, and you, you know, you're, um, you, you embrace this so fully is helping advisors tell their authentic story, you know, branding and marketing for us is, is really a passion project. And the reason for it is, you know, what I think one of our greatest weaknesses as an industry is like it, you know, everybody like line up your financial advisors. They all look the same, talk the same, walk the same, like why on earth when you pull up these, you know, bios, everybody's got the same. They've I've been a financial advisor for X number of years and I held this and this and this credential. And, you know, I, I value my clients because of, you know, fill in the blank. They trust me. I build trusting relationships. Why on earth would we not celebrate our authentic selves? Because you're, you know, what, where I always thought there was like a real kind of hypocrisy with the wind-up corporate definition and, and bio is you're expecting this incredibly intimate relationship with your clients. You're, you're, you're bringing them, you're delivering them a service, and you're bringing them into a relationship with you and asking them, you know, talk about your emotions, talk about your future, talk about your goals, talk about your, you know, your fears, your hopes, your dreams for you, for your family, for your children. But you're going to not tell them anything about yourself, and you're going to be this like you know wind up financial advisor. It makes no sense. Yeah, I, I think that you know we used to have a a little bench outside the courthouse in Woodbury where all the old men would sit and whittle. And for <laughs> those of you who don't know what whittling is, it's just taking a piece of stick and a knife, and you make it down to nothing. It really has no purpose. I guess you can carve some some neat characters into a walking stick or something. Um, but just hearing those people tell the stories of their life and what they've learned. And I think that you can learn a lot from listening to someone tell, hey, here's the mistakes I've made. And especially when I'm sitting down with clients younger than me saying, hey, here's some of the mistakes I made at your age and I wish that I wouldn't have. And it kind of removes that barrier of, okay, this person on the other side of the table is human. He's not just putting us into that spreadsheet or that financial planning software and telling us this is the optimal way to achieve happiness and wealth. (laughs) You know, he's he's trying to coach us to a better life. And he's explaining that there's going to be pain. I felt it. This is how we work through it. 
This is how uh, my wife and I as a couple work through it. Um, and I think people appreciate that a lot more than they appreciate any fancy bar graph or pie chart that you could put up on on the TV is you're just turning the, the, the screen off and saying, hey, let me help you. Let's talk about what's causing you problems and, and how we can fix it. I love that. All right. So you were an all-American trap shooting. You were on the all-American trap shooting team. Yes, ma'am. Which is, well, yes, ma'am. Okay, so the very first time that Ethan and I talked, the entire conversation, he's like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, Mrs. Spotswood. And I finally remember that. Yes, I finally I said, I'm like, I feel like I'm 100 years old. You have to call me Shannon and don't say ma'am to me again. I, I know, it's nine generations deep. I yeah. mean, it, it, it's hard to, to shake it. Okay, so that is shotgun clay target shooting. Yes, ma'am. What does it mean to be an all-American in this? Like that that sounds like a very precise sport. Yeah, it, it comes down to, you know, everybody shooting trap, which is a a shotgun discipline across the United States and across the world that um to be on the all-American team, you go shoot in s- several states um to earn all-American points and you get points by winning other states state tournaments along with your own and and regional tournaments, you know, whether that be in in Florida or Mississippi or Texas or um, Nevada, um, you're going to be traveling around the country trying to beat the other people in your age group um, at shooting. And uh, we loved it. Um, you know, there's seven spots reserved for the the top seven shooters in the world um, and in the country. And um, the, the world championships. So you're one of those. I, I am one of those. I, I got to hang my hat and get my medal yep. on, on that. And it taught me so many things. Um, you know, just simply... In competitive shooting, if you miss one, you're pretty much out of it. You might win with 199 out of 200, but very rarely. And I had a coach one time tell me, unless you have a time machine, you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn to refocus after that mistake and hit the rest mm-hmm. to maintain that top spot in the country. And it taught me so much about this industry and how to psychologically approach what I'm doing because I'm going to make mistakes from an investment policy. I'm going to make mistakes in so many things, but how do you just go past that and say, okay, let's recalibrate. Let's be honest. Let's have open conversation and and move on and not allow yourself to be emotionally shaken by the problems that arise and think logically of how to think through them and just hold yourself to a competitive standpoint that I'm going to beat all of the people around me and I'm going to continue to sharpen my skills um, to where I can just keep getting better and better and better every year. Um, and and I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. I mean, it's, it's interesting is how much of your discipline do you think stems from being an elite athlete and competing at this level? I think so much of it. I, I think that, you know, in, in Tennessee, we have a saying that it's hard to get away from your raisin. And <laughs> and, and I think a lot of that was ingrained by my family. I, I was very, very fortunate to be surrounded by incredibly disciplined people growing up. And, and I think that kind of caveated into the, the shooting sports. And yeah. That just refined it, you know, working with those sports psychologists and, and understanding how to turn on and off the focus. And, and in this world, I think that that helps with that vacation time of being able to turn it back off after you've turned it on, um, I think is just as important as turning on that discipline. 
and just some of the things that I've learned um, through the shooting industry, um, traveling and meeting the people all over the United States and learning their stories. And um, most people that shoot are not very young. And so, you know, out there with all the old men sitting around the (laughs) RVs learning about, you know, their stories and, you know, the history of the farmers of Illinois and, um, you know, going out and, you know, hey, my dad owns a casino and I shoot in Las Vegas and just so many neat people. I think it made me this well-rounded person that appreciates how everybody's gotten to where they're going. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've accomplished so much. I mean, you're not even 32 yet. Um, Where do you see yourself in five years? In five years, you know, I really hope to have definitely found exactly the niche of people I want to be around and have refined that, getting really good at saying no and refining that group of people that I work with every day. Um, And I really see us having three to five offices open and flourishing and helping cultivate new, not necessarily young advisors, into successful practices and helping them build the lifestyle that that I've created. Um, I know in five years I won't miss a t-ball game. I won't miss anything that happens. You've already checked that box. You're I'm, like, I already I'm, got that. I'm, I'm, I'm checking that <laughs> box and, and will continue to check that box regardless of how big the business grows. And if the business gets to a point where I can't check that box, I'll say, you know what, we're done. You know, <laughs> Or you're going to hire someone in. It, or hire someone in. We'll, we'll figure it out um, a, as we go. Um, but in, in five years, I would love to be somewhere in that 500 to $600 million dollars of assets under management range and and have those offices open to continue to grow the business. What is, um, you've, you've been fortunate, as you mentioned, to have several influential mentors. If you were sitting across the table from a young advisor just getting started in the business, what, what, what's, I'm sure you have tons of advice, but what's one piece of advice that you would give them? To stay focused you know, that the people that are successful in this industry are the people that stay. And I, I had an advisor uh, that, that gave me that advice when I started, and I didn't understand it till yeah. I made it through about the fourth year in the industry, and I made it through the highs and lows of starting as advisor, getting that first client, getting fired by that first client, and understanding that if I just stay, I can create something really, really special. Um, and just having the discipline to commit for that time period to say, I'm going to build it and I'm going to make it. I agree with you. We talk about this all the time with our board and um, one of our board members is on the board of Under Armour. And he says, you know, in the early days of Under Armour that they would write up on the the whiteboard as they started their, their meetings, don't forget to sell t-shirts because it's really easy for all of us to get distracted in our businesses. And you're like, Ooh, you know, bright, shiny object, look at the rabbit. Like, there's all of these different opportunities of how you can go about making decisions to grow your business. But it is, you know, those, I think those that are most successful are incredibly like laser focused on what is it that we are doing? What makes us, what makes us great? And how are we going to day in and day out, day in and day out, just execute on that, that mission? Yeah. I, I think that there's, there's nothing more true that you, you just have to grind it out. I can't tell you how many people have told me, 
you know, hey, you're too young to do this job. You you know, you're not going to make it. You know, there's a, I can't tell you. I many, love those people. 88% attrition rate, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, for the people under 25, it's, it's like 96. Right. And, and so, you know, just all of those voices in my head kind of catapulted me forward. I guess out of my stubbornness, <laughs> I, I made it because I wasn't going to let them be right. right. And, and that's where that just stay. Just have faith in the system and just stay. Do whatever it takes to make it. All right. We always like to ask, give me your favorite quote. You've sprinkled a few good ones throughout, but favorite quote, like favorite business book or most impactful business book. So I I guess my favorite quote is from um, Robert Browning, Um, his um, poem, A Death in the Desert, that is progress, man's distinctive mark alone, not God's, not the beast's, man partly is and wholly hopes to be, meaning that God and the evil in this world are as perfect as they're ever going to be. And our our one job as humans is just to make progress. You know, whether that's you're on the plateau or you're working up a mountain or you're down in a valley, we just got to put one foot in front of another every day and just keep making progress to keep trying to get to the best person we can be. Oh, I love that. Love that. All right. Favorite book? (laughs) You know, I'd love to read and I have so (laughs) many books and... You know, I think that a lot of wisdom can be grabbed from the book of Proverbs. If you'll just sit there and apply those to your life, just the little sayings. I have a little camouflage version of Proverbs that I take with me hunting and I try and refresh myself. We might need that for some Um, become a warrior swag. Yeah, and and it's just so many things. You know, Solomon, the the wisest man that ever walked on the earth, wrote the book. You know, it's wise to spend a little bit of time in there. And I really struggled on what would be my favorite book. And um, there's just so many things. And I think that in reading as an advisor, it's good to get so many different viewpoints because you can kind of hammer out what you want to be. Right. Ethan, it was such a treat having you in War Room Huddle. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided, in part, by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guests nor RFG advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC, RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor.
SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.